So with your permission, Jesus, we, we will recognize your profound love for us. Let's do a little class review so that tomorrow night you can have a test. You can pass your, mission, your retreat test, your mission test. We talked the first night about the idea of baptismal identity. Who am I? Not what do you do, but I am a beloved son or daughter of God. Everything starts, I believe, from there. I am a beloved son or daughter. If, if I do not recognize who I am, I will not recognize who the poor is. So if I believe I'm a beloved son or daughter, then I have to believe that the poor person, the addict, the prostitute, is a beloved son or daughter. Everything flows from here in the work I do. I'm not there serving the poor because I'm better than them. That's not true. I'm there not even to solve their problems. I'm there to receive from them. One of the hardest things when people come down to see the children wherever I am, they come down with a sense of, what can I do for the children? And I understand. We want to solve problems. We want to eradicate problems. And I said to folks all the time, nothing. Receive from them. Receive from the boys or receive from the girls. It's the most interesting encounter I see. The children are poor, so they'll receive. You have candies, they'll receive your candies. But when the child has a candy and tries to give to somebody who's not as poor, it's almost impossible. It's almost like they have guilt. So a girl will come up or a boy will come up and say, here, you can have my candy. They get a candy once a week on Sunday. We had recently a person come down and we were praying and this girl had her little rosary. It was a plastic rosary. We get those little plastic ones. And he was looking for his rosary and he didn't have it. And she took hers off and she gave it to him. Right? And he began to cry. She looked at him and said, I was near it. Why are you crying? Because you gave me your, your rosary. I said, yeah, that's okay. It was so hard for him to receive. We have to understand our baptismal identity. Because otherwise, you will seek to solve problems. And that is certainly not the calling of Christian life. Simply because I 
have more or I am more in terms of my education, it doesn't mean that I'm more. It doesn't. But we have this cult, we have this mentality that you with more are better than. And I don't mean more, maybe more money-wise, maybe more beauty-wise, maybe more what, it doesn't matter. It's just so hard to help people receive. So the first night I talked about baptismal identity. Who am I as a child of God? Last night I talked about really the Eucharistic presence. And what happens is when I have an absence, a lack, poverty is a lack, I try to fill myself with something. I need this coffee or I need this chocolate. Right? That's fine. But we all know that it will not satisfy. The more that I put in, the bigger the hole gets. I promise. The more that I put in, the bigger the hole in my heart gets. And I tried last night to help you understand that blessed are the poor who, who have those sufferings, who have those struggles, because they have something beautiful to give to God. Those of you with great boulders in your chest, I said, can you give those to the Lord? Can you put those in the wound of the heart, in, in one of the wounds of Jesus? and watch it dissolve into his merciful love. But once you put it in there, you can't take it back. And that's sometimes very hard for people. Tonight I want to use that as the backdrop to go into the deeper presentation of, well, what about blessed are the poor in relationship to forgiveness? Let's understand that at the foot of the cross, Our Lady heard every conceivable act of violence and name-calling that was known to man. Imagine, if you will, I'm a father or I'm a mother and I'm by the bedside of my dying son in a local hospital and people are coming in and screaming and mocking my child as he's dying in the bed. What would you do? You'd want me to... You tell me, Mama, go beat him up. Throw that guy out the window. Your son is dying. Just put on the mind of a mother right now. You don't even need to be a mom. And yet Our Lady heard all of that screaming and mockery. And she must have thought, why are you making fun of my son like that? Wasn't, weren't you the one that was blind and now you can see? Hey, Bartimaeus, remember? You couldn't see, now you can see. Why are you making fun of my boy? Oh, you, why'd you do that? You lepers, why aren't you defending my son? And so, in a very profound way, I want you to ask Our Lady for her heart to forgive people. I want you to ask Our Blessed Mother. She was totally human. So was Jesus. But Our Lady will teach you how to forgive in a very profound way. You know, 
The heart of a woman is different than my heart, obviously. Because underneath that heart is formed, all of us were formed under Mama Bear's heart. And the very first thing you ever heard in your whole life was your mother's heartbeat. Whether your mom was a happy mom or a sad mom, whether your mom was a crouchy mom or whether she was a joyful mom, it doesn't really matter. The first thing you heard was ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum. And you went with your mom to eat Cheetos and you took a shower with your mom and, and all that stuff you did. But you also experienced joy and suffering in your mother before you came out of the womb. Sometimes it's hard for us to think of that experience within us. Because we say, well, I didn't know anything back then. Well, be careful. Because little babies are born many months premature or weeks premature, and they seem to pick up on things. I believe that just because there's a little bit of amniotic fluid in a little layer of skin between me and the baby in mama's womb, I still think the baby can hear and understand. So my point is, is that in some way, you know, our Lord learned about really be loving others in her womb. Because when Mary said yes at the Annunciation, shortly thereafter, remember, she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, which was, you know, the, the, the difference was about 100 miles or kilometers. I don't remember. But it wasn't, you know, going down the road to the daily bread. It's a little longer. And what I, what I want you to understand is that that she suffered to bring the joy of this child to her cousin Elizabeth. She suffered in that way very profoundly. But when Jesus went on the mission, I'm sure she began to suffer in, in some way. Why is it so hard to forgive? Why do we carry the same anger and negativity week after week, month after month, year after year, and for those of you abundantly blessed, decade after decade. You just carry it. And it steals your joy. And here's the paradox. That lack of forgiveness gives you a false sense of superiority. So I'm angry at this guy, and I'm superior to him because I can look down on him, whatever the cause. I don't want to get into the causes. But I look down on him when I'm really the slave to that person. I think I'm better than them when I'm really trapped in my unforgiveness. And so what I constantly see in many situations is, well, wow, I, 
I'm in control here because I'm mad at you. I have unforgiveness of you. When really, I'm in a prison to you. Because I won't let go of the pain I cause myself or others. And so I see a constant recycling of anger and unforgiveness. We know, at least if you've ever been a Catholic school mom, cranky moms have cranky kids. Angry moms have angry kids. Angry dads have angry kids because they pick up on it. It's like smoke. It's like secondhand smoke. Everybody knows when you're angry, and everybody just absorbs it. It's the truth. We all know it. And so we all absorb the secondhand smoke of anger or unforgiveness. You don't have to tell me, Mom, that you're angry at the neighbor. I already know it the way you're standing and talking or not talking about her. I already know. I never said anything bad about the neighbor. You didn't need to, Mom. I'm not Bozo the Clown. I already know how you feel. We know that. The point of all that is that we think that we are rich by our lack of forgiveness. No, I'm in control. I will not forgive. When really, it's broken. You're not in control because when you are poor, spiritually, you freely forgive others. But when you are rich in a form of pride, you will not forgive. I'm in control. What I'm proposing to you at this first point is this. Have you ever asked God for the grace really to recognize the people that you've hurt and before the Blessed Sacrament ask forgiveness and beg forgiveness for the people that have hurt you so that you can be set free. Ask Our Lady. They really terrorized her kid, if you don't know that. And he was a good boy. And they terrorized him. But she had to forgive. Secondly, is that when you ask Our Lady for her heart to forgive others, you begin to recognize that forgiveness is a gift for those that are poor. You cannot forgive on your own. You simply can't. You need grace. And you have to ask Our Lady, Blessed Mother, Virgin of the poor, Virgin of my poverty, help me get, receive the grace to forgive others. Help me with that grace. I see so many profound experiences of forgiveness in my work. You know, kids that have been through stuff that would really hurt you folks if they were your kids. And thank God they're not. 
And I say to them, do you want to write a letter to that person that hurt you? And the kid will say, yeah, Father. I say, okay, write your letter in the chapel and come back tomorrow and read me the letter. So the kid will come back in the morning, boy or girl, and they unpack the paper. You know, it's typically like this small and shh, Like it's like the secret document, right? And then there's that moment. Do you want me to read it or do you want to read it? I'll read it to you, Father. Dear Uncle So-and-so, why did you hurt me? Dear So-and-so, Why did you hurt my father? Why did you kill my papa? They'll read the whole letter, or sometimes I read it. It's not a problem with the Spanish. I just don't know all the words. But I can sure tell you, I look at them and say, wow, you're incredible. Wow, you're amazing. Like, I really say that to them. Because I can't always understand what I'm reading, but I can tell you by the kid crying in front of me, I figured it out. I pick up the words. Then the next moment, you want to tear it up or you want me to tear it up? You tear it up, Father. And I say, by the end of the week, I'm going to burn this paper. I said, I'm really proud of you. And I tell them, look at me. I'm really proud of you. We do a fist bump and we get them on the highway back to school. It's an incredible encounter of mercy. You see, forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Forgiveness is a kid sitting across from me, reading a letter to somebody that was a bully and getting it off their chest and getting it out of their heart. Reconciliation is when the person says, yeah, I'm really sorry, I hurt you. She had to express forgiveness because I don't know if anybody went up to and said, ma'am, I'm really sorry what I did to your son. I don't know why I beat him like I did. I don't know why I did what I did to him when he was on the cross. I think that many times we immediately go to the Lord when we have issues of forgiveness and bless me, Father, for I've sinned, I've said a hundred thousand bad words or this or that. But have any of you ever gone to the mother of the boy and said, wait, hold on there, Jesus. Hold your horses. Ma'am, I'm sorry I hurt your boy. I 
I think it's a proper process. Because Our Lady is not a statue. She's really the mother of God. That's what the scripture says. Mama bear. And I think that there be a process of intense grace and healing for so many people if they went back to the one who held the boy for nine months before anybody really knew other than Elizabeth, Joseph, and that crazy donkey that carried them. Something to think about. Again, it goes back to the point Mary is alive. She's not a statue. She's not made of wood or plastic. She doesn't always stand like that in heaven. Right? She's a woman. Alive. She's got beat up hands and she was tired at the birth maybe. All of that. Sometimes it helps to go to Joseph who can be a great intercessor as well. I don't think he's always standing like that with an axe in his hand. That's not the most welcoming guy. Can you imagine dad's always standing there? Hey, how you doing? Hi, sweetheart, how you doing? Oh, dad, you got the axe. I don't know if that'd be the most easiest dad to hug. I have to tell you, I mean, poor Joseph. Like, sometimes I go to these countries and Joseph, the statues, the poor guy, he's got this like ruby red cheeks and this, I don't know whether it's lipstick and these long eyelashes. And I say to the sister, sister, like relax. The guy was a carpenter. He wasn't like a beautician, right? He's got all these little, I said, isn't he handsome? I'm like, yeah, but he, he can be handsome without the lipstick. I try, I don't get very far. But I tell him all the time, I'm like, Joseph was just a dude that was called by the Lord to be faithful. And he had all the emotions that every dad has, even though he was a foster father. And so I wonder if you've ever gone to the mother and said, I am sorry for the times I've hurt your son. I think if we began to look at that process of forgiveness, it might be a stretch for you, for some people to forgive the Lord because you went through pain or you suffered or somebody died in your life, okay. But don't pick on the mother. She's a good mom. And so I wonder whether understanding what it is to be poor in front of her and to come to her and say, I am sorry for my poverty, my lack of trust in you, my lack of relationship with you, my opinion is a form of poverty. The last thing I would like you to think about, and then I'll talk a little bit more, is the whole idea of suffering. 
You know, when people are suffering, a lot of times they feel really alone on the cross. I'm alone, Father. No one is here with me. But really, much more profoundly, is that they have to open their eyes and look for the mother. By your baptism, you have an indelible mark of Christian identity. You have the seeds of faith, hope, and love. There is a presence of Christ within you. No matter how many mortal sins the church has tonight, Christ is present in you. Deny it, run away from it, drink it away, doesn't matter. You cannot deny the truth. But what I've noticed in the mystery of the, of the journey of sickness and the journey with, with people is that many do not look for Our Lady when they're suffering. They just don't. Maybe they've never thought of it, but in the deepest mystery of our Christian identity, I find it hard to believe that Our Lady is far from any cross. Because I think when she looks at the cross, she always sees something of her son. It's true we might not be in Jerusalem, and we might not have a beard, and we might not be 33, and we might not be nailed to a cross, but the, the lack, the lack of awareness of Our Lady is crippling so many people when they're suffering. When you suffered the most in your life, did you look for her? When your kids went through all that rotten stuff that they go through, did you recognize her presence? She's not going to scream. She's not going to say, look at me. But you have to open your eyes and your ears to find her. That's the most beautiful thing I can tell these young people when they cough up their pain. Father, where was God when I got hurt? And many times I will tell them he was, she, he was there. Many times I will say, do you think Our Lady was there? It's something so profound when they say, yeah, I could sense that Our Lady was there. I said, does a mom ever leave the side of a suffering child? She shouldn't. No, Father, my mom was always there. I saw how she suffered. I saw how much pain she went through. And I say, then why do you think she'd want to run away from you in your pain? When all of you have had your pain and your suffering, 
with your kids going through whatever they're going through now, do you ever send her to them? Do you ever say, Mary, come on, get going. Get back on the, get back on the donkey. You don't have to go 100 miles. Just go be with my son or my daughter. You'd be surprised how much she loves to go to that, to that moment. It all depends on your relationship with her. All of the recent saints have had such an utter, profound, living relationship with Our Lady. Faustina, John Paul, Mother Teresa. They've all had this vibrant mama, son or daughter relationship. And I think one of the struggles in the church and the culture is that we don't hear about her powerful role. You can always tell somebody, my mom used to say to my sisters, oh, you want to marry this boy? How's he treat his mom? It's the same in the Christian faith. How do you treat her? How do you treat your mom? I think one of the struggles is, is that everything she stands for is everything the culture is fighting against. She has her identity. She has her dignity. She stands for that reality of, of purity and holiness and service. She's not some soft person that's simply crying because her son is always suffering. She's deeply in the trench of our pain. To be blessed when it comes to this topic of forgiveness is to recognize that if you call out to Our Lady, if you ask her son, I want to exchange this boulder of unforgiveness for the heart of grace, it comes about. It happens. I see it all the time in the work I do. It's actually so paradoxical. The ones that were through so much pain find it easier to forgive. <laughs> because they refuse to be a slave to that trauma their whole life. And so I say, let's go. Let's go deep into the pain. I don't want to. I don't care. The only way that you're going to heal is if you get to the core wound and get to the very thing that causes you this anger and this sadness and this resentment. I said, you got to pray. I said, I'm here, but I'm not going to chase you all over campus to help you forgive. You want to forgive? Let's go. 
You want to carry around this, this suffering? Knock yourself out. But that cancer is going to metastasize in your soul. I promise you. And somebody's going to be an innocent victim of your anger. This is what's happening in the culture, in the world, in the church. People are innocent victims of the anger and the suffering and the unforgiveness of others. Why? Because they think they're rich. They're actually very poor. Because they cannot receive the grace to forgive. They will not. They cannot ask, give me the grace to forgive myself or someone else. Give me the grace to forgive the person that hurt the person I love. Fine. And so they end up suffocating in their control because they cannot ask for Our Lady, for her Son, to give them the grace to forgive others. And so I teach the girls and the boys, you got to forgive. You got to go into that place that's the hardest place to forgive. I say to them, when you go to bed, what's the video that comes back? What's the memory that comes back? How old were you? Where were you? And what happened? I said, sometimes that's the place to start. Invite Our Lady into that memory. Because sometimes there, the devil is speaking in our imagination. You're never going to be good enough. You can't even forgive this situation. It might be yourself. It might be a decision you made. I get that, but nobody in the church is perfect. That's why we go to church. Amen. <laughs> That's our hope. And so, I encourage the young people to forgive. If they don't forgive, sooner or later they will, they will suffocate with unforgiveness. Sooner or later, they will remain locked in that place. And they will never spiritually or maybe even emotionally progress because they cannot forgive. And so I'd like to just take a few moments of quiet. And I want you to imagine that you have the chance to give this snowball of pain, like I talked about last night, to the mother. Imagine the sweetest, kindest mom or grandmom. Maybe it was your mama bear, or maybe it wasn't. 
But imagine the sweetest disposition of the Blessed Mother standing in front of Jesus. And she simply says, come, give me this. Give me whatever it is. Put it in a box, put it in a paper bag, put it on a paper note and hand it to her. Whatever you need to do. But why don't you prepare that now? The greatest gift you could give to me going back to Brazil tomorrow is to give your poverty to Jesus. That's the greatest thing you could do. Because then you'll be set free. And you will then not look at the poor or somebody's poverty is something for you to fix. But you will be a servant of that poverty. You will now recognize your poverty in that person. And you will say, I got it. I'm no better than you. You're an alcoholic, but I'm not. But I can bring mercy to your addiction, your unforgiveness, your brokenness. It's not complicated. So prepare that unforgiveness. Write it out in your heart, piece of paper. We'll have a few minutes of quiet. And imagine Our Lady is here or she's there like the offertory, just like the priest receives the bread and wine. Well, give her your brokenness. Give her your brokenness. You know, something very interesting. Sometimes as Catholics, we got it all backwards. The offertory shouldn't be about your money. It shouldn't. Don't tell Monsignor. <laughs> you know what it should be? All your brokenness. Put all your brokenness in the basket. And then it comes down the aisle. You'd love a second and third collection of brokenness. There'll be five collections of your brokenness at this Mass. Say, Amen. <laughs> You'd laugh. My point is, is that you should be offering all of that brokenness on the altar. Pray, my brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and that's what makes the complete Mass. And I just think that we've made the offertory just what it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be an offering. I get that. Give your tithe. I get all that. But it's not joyful. It's not, amen, look what I get to give. It's more, huh. That's not what it is. It's not what it is. When I was in Africa, we were out at a place and they had the offertory. It takes a little longer than ours. All right, because everything comes down. People bring up their gifts to the altar. Churches are smaller. 
And so they bring it up and you get all kinds of stuff. You get a bar of soap. I mean, it's really beautiful. You get all these little things. You get money, change, right? Anyway, this family so joyfully, they brought a chicken as an offertory, but the thing was alive, right? <laughs> well, I mean, that's great if it's cooked, right? If it's rotisserie. But this little guy, they're like, cluck, 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 cluck. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that thing? It's clucking around the whole joint, right? And I said, well, tie him up outside because I'm trying to celebrate the mass. Cluck, 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 cluck. It wasn't a rooster, thank God, right? But something very beautiful was the joy of the offertory. Like, they were the happiest to give a chicken. It was just joyful. And I don't know why they gave it. Maybe they had a good crop or I don't know, whatever. My point is, you have to offer all your pain. And I'm telling you to offer your poverties. If you offer your poverties, then what you give will be joyful. Because he receives both, it doesn't matter. Give me your pain, give me your addiction, give me your suffering. And I'm just telling you tonight, just give it to the woman. She'll take anything. Whatever you got for her boy, even your sinfulness, she wants it. Because she changes it. She puts her hands on it, and she kisses it, and gives it to the boy and said, now it's blessed. Now it's blessed. Let's take a few minutes, and then I'll have reposition of the Blessed Sacrament. You know, been many moments here over the last few months planning for this event. And uh, along the way, uh, I came up with this idea that, you know, we really ought to be about trying to make this apparition as well known as the others. I think we've all discussed the fact that this apparition of Our Lady Bono is not very well known, but the people in this room know all about it now. This is where it's going to start. I firmly believe that this is where this is going to start, is that we're going to make Our Lady of Manoa known, at least throughout the Archdiocese of St. Louis, and who knows wherever that's going to go. There no longer can be said that we don't know her. We come to know her very well. The other thing that occurs to me is that the need for us to pray that Father Al becomes a saint. Just imagine, folks, just for a moment, what that would mean to our families, what that would mean to our church, what that would mean to our country, what that would mean to our priest. If an American priest of the stature and the respect of Mother Teresa would become a saint. So join me in praying that Father Al becomes a saint. The sooner he does, the easier it is gonna be for the sisters to do what they do because then the world will know about the work that they're doing. And maybe the world will focus on the poor a lot more than what it does now.
I hope all of your hearts have been touched as mine has these last few evenings. Father Dan has a gift, and he has shared that gift with us the last three evenings. Let's please stand and join me in giving a big round of applause. 